We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 640 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2023. And I am happy to say that uh, we, regarding Commander's receiver Terry McLaurin, can breathe a collective sigh of relief. All together now. Ah. <laughs> uh, Terry in the Commander's 29-28 win over the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field on Monday night to end the Ravens' NFL record 24-game preseason winning streak, suffered a right big toe injury. Well, we on Monday night, early in the third quarter, had multiple reports that x-rays were negative, and we on Tuesday afternoon had multiple reports that an MRI examination had shown no major damage and that there is optimism that Terry can play in week one. Good news, all things considered. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I know that there has been some talk that Terry on Monday night played for too long. Uh, For the record, he played on 41% of the commander's offensive snaps. Hey, receiver Jahan Dodson played on 48% of the commander's offensive snaps. I get the conversation, but I also really liked that the team on Monday night Got that first team passing offense a lot of work. That work was needed, and that work ended up being good work, uh, albeit against a Ravens team that did not play a lot of key guys. But the good work was quarterbacked by Sam Howell, who was very good. Uh, Next segment, I will go in-depth on Sam and a lot more with Zach Selby, a senior writer for Commanders.com. Zach writes a lot of good stuff for the team's website, but Zach, as an employee of the team, uh, is not just some houseman who, like, never says anything bad. No, Zach tells it like it is. He does a good job. And so Zach's going to spend some time with us and talk Sam Howell, including how the Commanders internally are feeling about Sam, uh, how the first-team offensive line did on Monday night, who is in the lead in the Commanders' left guard competition, Sadiq Charles or Chris Paul, uh, who the favorites to be the final receivers on the team's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season are, uh, what it has been like for Zach as an employee of the Commanders to have new ownership of the team and the Josh Harris group, and more. Zach Selby, senior writer for Commanders.com, next segment. Also on the show, the Nationals, they won again, uh, a 2-1 win at the New York Yankees on Tuesday night. The Nats now are 20-10 and 10 over their last 30 games. Additionally, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon officially announced having agreed with manager Davey Martinez on a multi-year contract extension, what reportedly is a two-year contract extension with an option for a third season. And then we later in the day on Tuesday had a number of significant promotions in the Nats minor league system becoming official. I have a proper Nats segment for you coming up in a bit. And I will talk Orioles. Uh, disappointing game for the American League leading O's on Tuesday night. A 6-3-10 inning loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as O's manager Brandon Hyde opted to only have the ace reliever Felix Batista 
toss the top of the ninth, a top of the ninth in which uh, Batista tossed a perfect inning on just nine pitches. And then uh, another Orioles reliever, Mike Bauman, worked the top of the 10th and uh, Bauman got worked in that top of the 10th. You will hear Hyde's justification for his uh, bullpen management when we do talk O's later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of tweets regarding the commander's win over the Ravens on Monday night. Tweet from Kenneth. Was this the greatest preseason Washington game of all time? (laughs) Uh, A stellar performance from Sam Howell, camped off by an ice-cold kick from Joey Sly to end the Raven streak. Roll on the regular season. Uh, thank you for the tweet, Kenneth. Uh, yeah, man, this win over the Ravens may now be the greatest Washington preseason game of all time. Uh, this win does perhaps supplant what I had considered to be the greatest Washington preseason game of all time. Osaka. <laughs> Do you remember Osaka. If you remember Osaka, then all you need here is Osaka, and you know exactly of what I speak. August 3rd, 2002, the Redskins blew out the San Francisco 49ers 38-7 at the Osaka Dome in Osaka, Japan, in the Skins' very first game with Steve Spurrier as head coach. The Steve Spurrier fun and gun offense was unstoppable on that night. Uh, The skin starting quarterback, Danny Werfel, went 16 of 25 for 269 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. We were off and running with Spurrier, the old ball coach, the OBC, as our head coach. And uh, then, of course, came his actual two regular seasons as skins head coach, seven and nine in 2002. And yes, 5-11 and in 2003, as Spurrier said in his final press conference as Skins head coach, 5-11, and not very good. Okay, we wound up 5-11, and not very good. No, 5-11 and is not very good, but dare I say that this win over the Ravens on Monday night tops Osaka for greatest Washington preseason game of all time. That is quite a distinction. Greatest Washington preseason game of all time. Lots of tweets on Sam Howell. A tweet from William. My thinking on Howell is that he has always looked like he belongs running a team at minimum. Last preseason, the Dallas game last season, and now this preseason. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, William. I agree with that. A tweet from CJ81. Chef Howell will be cooking this season. Tweet from R. Murphy, Sam has looked solid every time he has stepped on the field since being drafted. At some point, people will use their eyes to evaluate him instead of going off his irrelevant fall in the draft. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, R. Murphy. As I have said about Sam Howell being a 2022 fifth-round draft pick, it is true that the overwhelming majority of non-first-round quarterbacks, especially day-three quarterbacks, do not become good NFL quarterbacks. But it's also true that Sam is not your normal day-three quarterback. And so to just lump him in with all of the day-three quarterbacks who have done nothing as NFL quarterbacks ignores key context. Uh, Most day three quarterbacks were never talked about as potentially being number one overall picks. Sam Howell was. Don't forget what a friend of this podcast, Commander's Insider John Kime of ESPN, reported this past May 6th that the Commanders had a consensus second round grade on Sam in that 2022 draft. Quote, according to sources with knowledge of the commander's draft process, Washington scouts gave him a grade that equated to a second round pick. Some of them gave him a third round equivalent, but others had him in the late first, end quote. Now, why the commanders, given their desperate need for a franchise quarterback, waited until the fifth round of the 2022 draft to take Sam Howell when they had this consensus second round grade on him is another conversation. But just lumping Sam in with all of these other day three quarterbacks, to me, is wrong. Uh, you got to factor in the context. Uh, and if you have a case, you got to go with 
Paulson and Ace. Uh, the law firm of Paulson and Ace is always there for you. Paulson and Ace is a Washington, D.C. based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices, and false advertising. Heck, victims of shady lawyers. If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region, and Paulson and Nace has won millions of dollars for clients. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Ace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonandAce.com. That's PaulsonandAce.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. Please consider following this podcast if you're not already doing that. Following the podcast is free. If you have an iPhone, you can follow the podcast simply by tapping the plus sign in the upper right corner on the page listing the recent episodes of this podcast. Uh, the portion of the 2023 NFL preseason in which Commander starters play would appear to be done. Uh, the team's third and final preseason game is this Saturday evening, home to the Cincinnati Bengals at 6.05. And then we have the cut down to 53. Uh, it is by this Tuesday, August 29th at 4 p.m. Eastern that each NFL team must cut its active roster to no more than 53 players. Uh, there was only one cut down day in the NFL this year, so the commanders and every other NFL team will be going from a maximum of 90 active roster players to a maximum of 53 active roster players. This coming Tuesday is going to be wild. A whole lot of players are going to become available. Uh, joining us now to talk commanders off the 29-28 win over the Baltimore Ravens at FedEx Field on Monday night to end the Ravens NFL record 24 game pre season winning streak is a guy who does a really good and thorough job of covering the Commanders. Zach Selby, senior writer for Commanders.com. You can follow Zach on Twitter, on X, at Zach Selby, WC, with Zach spelled Z-A-C-H. Hey, Zach, great to talk to you. How are you? Yeah, um, yeah, great to talk to you as well. I'm, I, uh, when you hear about these preseason games, especially with the, with the Ravens being, you know, 24, you know, since like what, 2015 or something like that, like you always wonder, like, yeah, like it doesn't really matter, but I would love to be there to see them actually finally lose that preseason game. And hey, they, they, they did exactly that. Washington comes away with a really, you know, a last minute win. And, um, honestly, I don't want to say it's a top 10 moment of, of covering the team, but it's definitely, a, it's definitely a really fun moment. Yeah, and I think that fun is the right word to use. Like, was this win truly meaningful? Probably not. But was Monday night a fun night at FedEx Field? Heck yeah. And uh, we, of course, have had way too few fun nights at FedEx Field over the years. Well, uh, we on Monday night did get some injury scares for two commanders receivers. Terry McLaurin suffered an injury to his right big toe. Deami Brown was being evaluated for a concussion. Uh, head coach Rod Rivera, during his postgame press conference late night on Monday night, referred to Terry's injury as, quote, day by day. End quote. And we on Tuesday afternoon had multiple reports that testing on Terry's toe had showed no major damage. Diami was cleared to come back into the game, so he would appear to be fine? Yeah, it looks like he was. I don't think he actually went back into the game after he was evaluated for a concussion, which is kind of what you'd expect. 
Okay, good. Uh, The takeaway from Monday night, uh, from a commander's perspective, pretty clearly was the performance of quarterback Sam Howell off Ron Rivera last Friday morning, officially naming Sam as the QB1. Sam on Monday night was very good. He, over the last four weeks, has been good. Uh, Not perfect, but uh, he has had a solid training camp in which he rose to the occasion of the two joint practices with the Ravens, and he now has had two very nice preseason games. Who the heck knows what is going to happen in the regular season, but I don't know how you don't feel better about Sam off these last four weeks. Internally, do you think that the commanders feel significantly better about Sam now as compared to how they felt at the beginning of camp? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, heading into training camp, I feel like they had an idea about what Sam could be. And you you said, OK, like he's got the talent, right? He's good. We've got that, you know, limited amount of time against the Cowboys. But you wanted to see some things from him, right? Like if he's going to be the starter, you need to see him direct the offense. You need to see him, um, you know, be a good leader, you know, have a good grasp of the system. And I mean, he's done that like every single day that he's been out there and I think you know you you said it right when you said solid is is the way to describe it I think that's a I think that's about what you would describe it as is you know he's he's made some mistakes sure but I mean and you know those two sacks he admitted uh you know against the Ravens were on him but at the same time they're willing to live with those mistakes because he keeps doing he keeps he'll take a step back but he'll take two steps forward I think that's really what you want to see from a young quarterback is is he able to learn from his mistakes is he able to use the skills that he was able to utilize in college but it kind of carry them over into the NFL, and he does that. He has the arm strength. He, he, he's not afraid to go out there and make these big throws and throw it into tight windows because he trusts his players. Um, and he's got a really – he's really smart. He knows he knows his offense. I don't have any – I don't have any hesitation in believing that Hal is going to direct his offense the way it needs to be directed. Um, so, honestly, I think he's answered most, if not any, questions that the commanders have for him. And – I think they feel really optimistic about what he could be. Now, again, granted, like you said, it's preseason, so take everything with all the caveats as you want. But he's answered every question, and I don't think you—I don't think there's any way you can come out of this this month of August thinking that feeling less optimistic. You have to feel like everything is moving in the right direction. We're saying now. What specifically from Sam Howell on Monday night did you especially like? You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of things, you know, and a couple of things really stick out stick at the top of my mind. One is ball placement. That's one thing that I've always been very impressed with Sam is that where he, he places the ball exactly where it needs to be. You know, that, that third and 15, the opening drive, is one of the best examples that I can think of. After taking that sack, I mean, Cole Turner was covered pretty well. I mean, there, there was only one real spot for him to throw that ball, and Sam delivers it exactly where it needs to be. That's something that you know, we maybe haven't necessarily seen from other quarterbacks from Washington in the past. Uh, you know, Alex had, Alex had his moments, but there was always there. There wasn't exactly the the pinpoint accuracy that you would want to see. You know, same thing with uh, Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz. I um, mean, this guy, like he he throws darts like when he needs to. He's throwing exactly where he needs to be, and I really like that. The other thing is, he just he's so calm about directing the offense. Um, you know, not only on that third, to bring that third and 15 up again, I mean, like, the, the pocket was kind of, it wasn't necessarily collapsing, but there was a lot of action going on around him. But he was he just sat in there, did his job, and let the plays kind of come to him. Um, the other thing is, like, he, he doesn't take, he doesn't take these unnecessary shots, right? He can definitely throw the ball downfield, but he's not, he's not going to do that all the time. He's going to read his progressions. And I, I can't tell you how many times I saw him check down to Brian Robinson or Antonio Gibson because that was that was a smart play. And it, it was only like a four or five-yard pickup, but it kept the offense moving in the right direction. And I think that's what the Washington has needed for a while, is a guy that, who has the talent but isn't necessarily always going to just rely on it. He's going to do what the offense needs him to do in that moment to keep things going and fight another day. I was a big fan of Commander's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy on Monday night, getting the first team passing offense a lot of work. The Commanders in the first half ran 39 offensive plays. 30 of the 39 offensive plays were pass plays. 25 pass attempts, three scrambles, and two sacks. Do you think that Bieniemy went into the game with the idea of getting the passing offense a lot of work, or do you think that things just worked out that way? I think things kind of worked out that way. I mean, I think, you know, there are some things that the enemy 
has in his mind that he wants to accomplish for these preseason games. But I think he's also he's also going to let the kind of the game kind of dictate the flow for itself. And I mean, honestly, the, the passing game has been. I would I wouldn't say it's been more emphasized, but I mean you do we have seen a lot more pass plays during practice than we have on run plays. And I think that kind of leans into Washington's strength, right? I mean they have I think one of the best receiving cores in the entire league. Um, I mean from top to bottom, I think I'd put them up up against any other receiving core in the NFL. Um, so you need to play into those strengths, and that's exactly what the enemy did. And I mean. Sam Howell had five or he had completed five or six passes on that first drive, and the only one that he didn't he complete was an intentional throw out of bounds. So yeah, like I mean, you if you have Terry on your team, you have Diami who had a really nice game. You have Jahan who was targeted a lot once Terry was you know went off went into the locker room. When you have guys guys like that, you want to make sure that you you know, get them as many rest as possible get them ready for the season um so yeah i, I think you know even though it wasn't necessarily a, a priority it just kind of ended up going that way and it plays into the into the team's strength the offensive line the ravens on monday night did not play a number of key players that certainly has to be factored into the conversation that said what you think of the performance of the commander's first team offensive line on monday night you know I will, I'll say this. I still think I have some questions about the offensive line for sure, but every day those questions kind of become fewer and fewer because yeah, like we know, we know the offensive line had its struggles last year. We know that it did went with a lot of overhaul this year, a lot of different players, new and old kind of moving in different spots. So you kind of wonder how that was going to go. And Honestly, I really do think that they've gotten they have gotten better with every single practice, every single game they've been in. They've seemed like they're building a lot more chemistry. You know, I've brought this up a lot, but I think uh, Andrew Wiley and Sam Cosby have some great chemistry together. I mean, they pass off uh, stunts and twists. I mean, as good as anybody else that I've seen. And considering the fact that they've only worked really together for you know about a really a full month i guess two if you include the otas but the fact they've worked together for so like for just a limited amount of time and they're on the same page i feel really good about that right side um and i mean the other, the other thing too is that you know the the, the, the commanders have given up three sacks throughout this preseason none of them have really been on on the offensive line they've all been on sam learning how to you know, either get rid of the ball quicker or maybe slide protection or get, you know, something like that. They, they, none of them have been on the offensive line. Now, sure, they're going against the backups, but at the same time, they are doing their jobs. Like, I don't, I, I don't think that, you know, they, I don't, I think there are fewer, there are fewer negatives than, than there are more positives. I, I, I've been encouraged by what the offensive line has been, has been doing so far. And now, granted, We'll see what happens in week one and what happens at left guard, but I think they're 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 progressing as planned, and I don't think I don't think it's going to be as big of an issue as some people are making it out to be. You just mentioned left guard. Who is in the lead in the Commanders' left guard competition? Sadiq Charles or Chris Paul? You know, it seems it seems to me like they really want Sadiq to take that spot, honestly, um, because you know while Chris got most most if not all the rest while Sadiq was dealing with that calf injury, you look you look and see at the the lineup for the Ravens, and guess who was out there? Sadiq Charles. I mean, Sadiq was pretty much placed right back into the starting lineup when they figured out that he was healthy, and I think that's really what I think that's what they want because he's I think he offers a little more agility. And a little more quickness than what Chris Paul could possibly do uh, at this point right now, because it looks like they're going to use screens a lot more in this offense. They want to get these offensive linemen out in space, and Sadiq does that really well when he's out there. Now, health is always going to be a concern, but he has the quicker feed. He has the ability to cut off those linebackers on these outside zone plays. Um, you know, he can get out there in space and get uh, and you know block a, a nickel or a cornerback whenever there's a screen play. I think that's what they really what they want. Now that doesn't mean to say they've given up on Chris Paul because I mean he does he's a mauler uh, in the middle. Like he can he can clear a running lane for Ryan Robinson and Tony Gibson. And I think he's taken a I think he's taken a lot of steps forward to to, to possibly being a starter at some point. Um, but I would say that they, they like Sadiq because of what he, else he can offer. 
Um, now, assuming Chris Paul kind of develops some more quickness, maybe during the season, maybe next offseason, I think you have a look at a conversation where you maybe have him and Sadiq at, at, at those guard spots. We'll see with that. I think right now, though, I'd put the edge over Sadiq just because of what he can offer right now as opposed to what Chris can offer right now. Much more with Zach Selby in moments, uh, still to come in our conversation, will be me asking him about how he himself, as an employee of the Commanders, has felt the impact of the team's new ownership in the Josh Harris group. Uh, Hopefully, the Josh Harris group will bring our football team to greatness, just like turf center lawns can bring your lawn to greatness. If you have a bad lawn, no worries. Turf center lawns can change that. Turf Center Lawns offers a variety of residential and commercial landscaping services. It is a local, multi-generational family business serving Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Turf Center Lawns offers lawn care programs that will make and keep your lawn lush and green. But Turf Center Lawns is about more than just lawns. Uh, Turf Center Lawns is outstanding at handling water problems. Intense summer storms, as we know, can cause water and drainage problems for your home or business. Turf Center Lawns offers affordable and effective grading-based drainage solutions to prevent flooding erosion, wet basements, and wet crawl spaces. Uh, Also, if you are a coach, an athletic director, a booster, know that Turf Center Lawns can create, improve, and or maintain athletic fields. Uh, Turf Center Lawns will give you and your team a professional natural grass athletic field. Uh, And Turf Center Lawns performs maintenance with a specializing in Bermuda grass fields. Uh, Turf Center Lawns, in fact, installed the original Bermuda grass fields at a number of major venues in the Washington, D.C. area, including the Commander's FedEx Field when it opened as Jack Kent Cook Stadium in 1997. Also, Prince George's County Stadium, home of the Orioles AA affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, and Arthur W. Purdue Stadium, home of the Orioles Low A affiliate, the Delmarva Shorebirds. Turf Center Lawns also installs and rebuilds baseball and softball infields, batting cages, home putting greens, even... Bocce courts. If you have landscaping needs, drainage issues, or athletic field needs, contact Turf Center Lawns. Consultations and estimates are free. You have nothing to lose. Call 301-384-9300 or visit TurfCenterLawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or TurfCenterLawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. The Turf Center Lawns team is comprised of experts in their field. They share a deep commitment to exceeding customer expectations on every job, whether large or small. When you hire Turf Center Lawns, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Call 301-384-9300 or visit TurfCenterLawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or TurfCenterLawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Zach Selby, senior writer for Commanders.com. Tight end Cole Turner. He on Monday night had two receptions for 24 yards on two targets. Uh, We shall see how tight end Logan Thomas continues to progress from the calf injury that has kept him from playing at each of the team's first two games this preseason and has kept him from fully practicing for weeks now. But is Cole Turner the uh, TE2? <laughs> like, if Logan was to be out for week one, would it be Cole who would be the commander's number one tight end for the game? I, I think I think so. Um, you know, honestly, I think Cole Turner has been one of the biggest success stories that we've that we've seen so far, you know, you know, in training camp, and now I guess Nintendo is over in August, is the fact that, you know, he's he looked exactly like what they thought he was going to be last year. Because if you remember last year, I mean, he was creating a lot of hype because he was a red zone target. He was he had really good hands. He had a receiver background. He was able to use get open all these linebackers and get, get open down the middle of the field. And, I mean, he goes up there and he gets it. I mean, he's a big, tall dude. And knows how to use his hands and his route running ability. You've seen all of that so far this um, this this offseason. You saw a lot of that during the preseason against the Browns and against the Ravens. I've been really encouraged with him. Um, I think the Commanders are too because of how talented he's going to be. I think he's really going to help open up this playbook a little bit more. Um, now, I think you know the other thing too is that well, I think John Bates has an edge over him as a blocker. 
Coltrane has really improved that area of his game, and I think you know I think a lot of people have pointed out by now like that. that I think it was near the it was in the opening drive where he had that cross block on that uh, on that Ravens defensive end that really cleared open a hole for the Commanders running backs and allowed that to turn into like maybe a six seven yard gain, whereas that would have gotten blown up for a TFL had Coltrane not been there. That's really impressive. I think it's something he's been working on going back all the way back to last year when he was still kind of recovering from the hamstring injury. That's something he's really taking a lot of strides. I think I'm really most impressed with that. And I think if he can continue to improve that aspect of his game, he can become an all-around tight end at some point that commanders can really rely upon. No doubt. One of the interesting topics regarding the commander's initial 53-man roster for the 2023 season has been who will make up the final few receivers. We know the top four, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dodson, Curtis Samuel, and Diami Brown. Presumably, the team will have two or three other receivers on that initial 53-man roster. Who do you view as the favorites for those final few spots? Ooh, man, that's, I think, honestly, I, I think that's been one of the more, I wouldn't say untalked about, but one of the most intriguing position battles who's going to fill those one, maybe last two spots. I think I think Byron Pringle has, to me, I think he's, his roster spot is more secure because of he knows he knows this this uh, this offense, and he's he's worked with BNB before. BNB before he's been very good in practice, and he did, he makes plays. I mean, he can he's not going to make you know these sensational like big plays downfield, but he's he's a reliable target. Um, I think really what it comes down to is are you going to choose Dax Missile Tinsley? Casimir Allen uh, for that last spot. And I think it really just comes down to, as Rivera said, what's your fit going to be? Um, and if you're just going to compare, you know, Dax versus Kaz, I mean, you look at what else can they offer. And I think you go into the special teams aspect of it. And I think for me, Dax does a lot of things that they value, even though some people have pointed out that he's not necessarily explosive in the return game. He does catch the ball. He ensures that the offense has another opportunity to score. He doesn't create a lot of turnovers. I think that's something that they really appreciate. Um, and, well, I think the the uh, the, the benefits, the, the other stuff, like the creating the plays downfield, you know, getting getting open and having these 20-yard returns, that's extra. For them, they just want to see if, if Dax can do that. He does that. Now, Kaz, on the other hand, he's not as present in the offense yet as Dax is. I think Dax has shown he can be more offensively capable than Casimir Allen has. But I think you saw a little bit of that during the Ravens game. He can produce when he's out there. I mean, he had that eight-yard pickup that really helped the commanders get into field goal range. He had a couple of really nice plays on that last try that really helped the commanders keep moving down the field. And on top of that, I mean, you see the flashes of the of the athleticism in the return game. Um, you know, he had that really decent return. I think it was about a 15-yard return um, that really set the, the commanders up at the, like, the, around the 40-yard line. That's something that really gets you excited because of how quick he is, how he's able to move in space and avoid defenders. I think if, if it's going to come down to whether or not if, if Kaz can, can improve that aspect of his game while also being more, more productive on the offensive side, I think you've got a real competition battle there. Um, so it, I honestly, I, I, you know, Mr. Tinsley, I don't want to disparage him because I, he's been a really like, quietly good player. Um, he's made a couple plays uh, as well in practice and in games. Um, and maybe, you know, if he doesn't end up being, if he ends up being on the outside, you get him as a practice squad player, in which case you can elevate him at some point. Um, but I really do think it comes down to those three and it really comes down to whether or not there's going to be a fit. And honestly, like that last preseason game, preseason game against the Bengals going to tell us a lot about who's going to get that final spot. That's a good point. The Commander's defense, you and your piece on Commanders.com on your five takeaways from the win over the Ravens wrote a bit about the Commander's defense on Monday night getting off to a bad start for a second time in as many games this preseason. The Commanders in the game did not play most of their defensive starters, but again, the Ravens in the game did not play many of their key players. Slow starts for Washington defenses in games and in seasons have been an issue under defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Do you put any meaning in these slow starts for the defense in each of the first two games for the team this preseason, or not really? That's a good question. Um, I think it's something to watch. I would definitely say that because 
you know, if you if you remember, like Del Rio has been talking about how they really want to they really want to cut down on that. In addition, creating terms, they want to make sure they get off to faster starts um, because a lot of times, uh, like for the last two or three years during the regular season, offenses have really put up a lot of yards and a lot of points against them uh, because they're so sluggish to start these games. And you look at these these limited couple of drives, and what's been I think what's been annoying to me the most is that you see the like it's not like the pressure is non-existent. I mean, the pressure is getting there it's just not getting there fast enough i think that's the biggest problem is like you see the pocket kind of collapsing and collapsing you saw that a lot with josh johnson like he you could see you could feel the pressure but it just it's like he got the ball out like a tick too early for them to get there and i think that comes down to just you know being better at your pass rushes honestly i think that you know the another thing is like you know the tackling i think has been an issue for the team, you know, of the last couple of games, um, because, you know, there was a lot of missed tackles in that opening drive, which led to the, the Ravens just, I think, getting at least 10 yards in every single one of those six plays to get to get in scoring position. And then if you even go back to the Cleveland Browns game, I mean, you look, you think about that Chase Young sack that, that, that wasn't, that didn't exist because he couldn't grasp on to Deshaun Watson and get him down for a loss. Um, I think I think that's something to watch for sure. I wouldn't say I'm too concerned about it yet because the starters have played such a limited amount of time. And you know how talented this group is, but it does make you you know say okay, we have we we know this is a point of emphasis, but it's we're still seeing some of those problems that are kind of going to arise. So how are you going to fix it? And I think honestly, it's probably not going to be answered until we win because we're definitely not seeing any starters uh, on Saturday against the Bengals. Um, so I would imagine that, you know, once we one hit, it's going to be a really big point is that we need to get, we need to make sure that that first drive that the defense is on the field, that that, that drive ends with no points for the Cardinals. Last one for you, the Josh Harris group, uh, the joy from the fan base, the positive momentum over the first month of the Harris group owning the team have been great. You are an employee of the commanders. Are you and your job in any way feeling the impact? of the new ownership. Like, I don't know if there's a great new coffee machine at the team facility for your award, but uh, are you in any tangible way experiencing uh, what a lot of people on the outside looking in are experiencing with the new ownership? You know, I have not met uh, Josh Harris personally yet, um, but you can definitely feel like the difference, like the energy around the building, around the stadium is just so much. I mean, honestly, like, that 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 preseason game was, you know, we've talked about how fun it was. Like that was one of the like the like the most fun environments I've been around at FedEx Field, just because of how it really felt like it's the just the dawn of a new era in a lot of ways. And I, I'm really I've, every time that Josh Harris speaks, I I do like how genuine he is. I like how honest he is about, you know, yes, we have the expectations, but you know, we we want to build a championship contender at some point down the road. Um, I've really, I've really enjoyed getting to watch, you know, all these, these, uh, these, these victory speeches, seeing where he gets the game ball. And if he, he didn't say a whole lot to the team, but what he does say does mean something. And it's, it's really nice to hear from him. Um, but yeah, I, I really do believe that this is a, this is, it's a different feeling around every single aspect of the commanders. There's, there's just a giant wave that we're all riding right now. And I, I, I hope, you know, it lasts as long as it can because it's, it's really fun just to see, just to witness all of that happening. Absolutely. Zach Selby, senior writer for Commanders.com. Zach, thanks a lot. All the best. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Have a good one. Well, it would be awesome if going to Commanders games at FedEx Field became a consistently fun and positive experience, like the experience that so many had on Monday night. Uh, When it comes to buying tickets for our Washington, D.C. area teams and for music, comedy, and theater, the way to go is with the Game Time app. Yes, the Game Time app. Game Time offers great deals on last-minute tickets and has a best Price guarantee, so you no longer have to worry if you're truly going about getting tickets in the best possible way. Uh, the game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price, and if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% 
of the difference. What's also great about game time is how easy it makes searching for tickets. You can search by team, venue, or artist. I was just on game time looking at tickets for Commander's Games this coming season. A lot of good deals. And the seating chart next to the listed tickets made figuring out what exactly I'd be getting easy. Uh, Game time is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country. Game time is the app for last minute ticket deals. You don't have to plan months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Game time also offers flash deals on tickets and Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. Get the tickets without the stress with a Game Time, which is offering a special deal for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Here's what you do. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use this promo code, Al Galdi. You use that promo code, Al Galdi, you get $20 off your first purchase. Uh, terms do apply, but download the Game Time app, create that account, and use the promo code, Al Galdi for $20 off your first purchase. What time is it? It's game time. (laughs) Download the Game Time app today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tuesday ended up being an eventful day for the Nationals. Uh, Tuesday morning, the Nats officially announced having agreed with manager Davey Martinez on a multi-year contract extension, what reportedly is a two-year contract extension with an option for a third season. We talked about that on Tuesday's show, episode 639. Later in the day on Tuesday, we had a number of significant promotions in the Nats minor league system becoming official. More on those promotions in a bit. And then on Tuesday night, we had another Nats win, a 2-1 win at the New York Yankees in game one of a three-game series. I'm proud of the boys. That is right, Davey. <laughs> proud of the boys. And you know what? I bet that the boys are proud of Davey. Davey's getting paid, man, uh, via this contract extension. So the Nats now have won 20 of their last 30 games. The Nats in this 2023 regular season have gone from 38-58 and 58 to now 58 and 68. And the Yankees now have lost nine consecutive games. The Yankees are really. Uh, Josiah Gray, he was an at starting pitcher on Tuesday night. He came into the game having had a horrendous August. Uh, Gray came into the game having registered an ERA of 11 12 over three starts this month. Uh, Gray on Tuesday night was back to doing what he has done for much of this season. Good results despite questionable process. Uh, He allowed one run in six innings. That's very good. But he did this despite issuing a whopping five walks and a hit-by-pitch, and despite throwing just 50 strikes versus 51 balls over 101 pitches. Yes, he threw more balls than strikes. It is exceptionally rare for a starting pitcher in an outing of at least six innings to throw more balls than strikes. It is even more rare for a starting pitcher in an outing of at least six innings to throw more balls than strikes and allow one run or less. And yet, (laughs) that's what Josiah Gray did on Tuesday night. Uh, Now, he gave up just one hit, uh, which was a leadoff homer uh, by the Yankees' number nine batter, 
Ben Rortvet to right field in the bottom of the third to tie the game at one, and Gray recorded four strikeouts. This was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on Josiah Gray, allowing just one run in six innings, despite throwing more balls than strikes. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a testament of how good his stuff is. Um, but he made he made pitches when he had to. You know, that, that's the key. I mean, he walked he walked guys, but um, he made he made some key pitches um, when he needed to. And uh, he knows, you know, we talk all the time that you know he's got to clean some things up. But um, he competes. You know, he competes and he gives you everything he has. Well, Josiah Gray now for this 2023 regular season, 25 starts, an ERA of 3.85, a WHIP of 144. He this season has put a lot of guys on base, but to Gray's credit, he has had this penchant for, for the most part, avoiding giving up a lot of runs. I don't think that that's a formula for long-term success, but there is something to be said for learning to make big pitches, learning to work your way out of jams, learning to not give up a bunch of runs, even when you do put a bunch of guys on base. And so uh, in that regard, I do give Josiah Gray credit. Uh, Great work by the Nats bullpen in this 2-1 win at the Yankees on Tuesday night. Three Nats relievers combined for three scoreless innings. Mason Thompson tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Hunter Harvey tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth and facing the Yankees numbers two through four batters. Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, and John Carlos Stanton. And Harvey struck out Judge and Stanton. Uh, And Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth for the save. You know, Finnegan has remained the Nats closer, uh, despite the return of Harvey, who had supplanted Finnegan as the Nats closer. But let's make this clear. The most significant inning by a Nats reliever on Tuesday night was Harvey's. Uh, He was perfect in facing the heart of the Yankees lineup, with the Nats having just taken a 2-1 lead. And speaking of that, the Nats on Tuesday night, uh, well, they scored just two runs, totaled just seven hits, worked just two walks, went 0-2 with runners in scoring position, but did hit two home runs. Two solo homers were what made up the Nats scoring two runs in this uh, 2-1 win at the Yankees. C.J. Abrams, another big home run. He is the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter, went one for four with a solo homer. Uh, Abrams in the Nats one-run eighth had a tie-breaking two-out first-pitch solo homer off the right field foul pole for a 2-1 Nats lead. Uh, The homer went just 345 feet, according to the StatCast projection. Uh, But hey, that uh, is Yankee Stadium. So a Yankee Stadium home run, yes, but still a home run. Uh, Abrams in the Nats 8-7 win over the National League wildcard leading Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park this past Friday night had a big home run. Uh, Abrams in that game in the Nats 6-run fourth had a one-out first pitch three-run homer to right field for a 7-6 Nats lead. And Abrams, uh, shall we say, pimped the home run. Uh, He walked slowly and admired that homer uh, before running the bases. The pimping of the homer was uh, quite entertaining by Abrams this past Friday night. The rise of C.J. Abrams continues. He now over 37 games as the Nats' number one batter has an OPS of 791. And Carter Keboom homered on Tuesday night. And yes, I did say Carter Keboom. He is back. Uh, The Nats on Sunday afternoon appointed Keboom as their number 27 man for the 4-3 win over the Phillies at uh, Muncie Bank Ballpark at historic Bowman Field in Williamsport, Pennsylvania in the 2023 MLB Little League Classic on Sunday night. But the Nats opted to keep Keboom at the major league level as opposed to sending him back to AAA Rochester. Uh, Carter Keboom this season still is just his age 25 season. Uh, The Nats took him with the number 28 overall pick in the 2016 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. He underwent Tommy John surgery on his right elbow on May 27th, 2022. And then he this year was on the 10-day injured list from March 30th until May 7th due to a right shoulder impingement. Uh, Carter Keboom has been a bust, okay? Uh, He did not play in a major league game in the 2022 regular season, but he over his first three major league regular seasons, 2019 through 2021, over 414 plate appearances, had a woeful slash line, batting average of just 197, on base percentage of just 304, slugging percentage of just 285. Uh, the Nats' third baseman of the future pretty clearly is Brady House, but he's not yet in the majors. And so the Nats are giving Carter Keboom another shot. 
And Keyboom on Tuesday night as the Nats starting third baseman and number nine batter went one for three with a solo home run. A Keyboom in the Nats one run third had a leadoff homer to left field for a one nothing Nats lead. Uh, this was Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters on Tuesday night on the Carter Keyboom home run. Yeah, it was awesome. He put a good swing swing on the ball, but um, you know, I, I also like you know, I liked his takes and his patience up there, man. You know, um, but you know, he he looked uh, he looked good today. So that, that's awesome to get him back up here, um, and he helps us win. How much of a boost of confidence can that be for him to just to, to see that ball go over the fence and to kind of get his his, his year started that way? Yeah, big, big. Yeah, he he just came out of my office and I told him I was proud of him. I mean, he he went down there and worked really hard to get back up here, um, and has a good first day. But uh, you know, it's it's not always easy when you. Get get hurt and you got to work your way back um he went through the process and did it well I tell you Carter Keyboom homering on Tuesday night in his first game back with the Nats at the major league level reminded me of his first major league regular season game Keyboom in a 4-3 Nats loss to the San Diego Padres at Nationals Park on April 26th 2019 in his major league regular season debut smashed a leadoff homer to center field off ex-Nat Craig Stammen in the bottom of the eighth to tie that game at three. And then Keyboom in a 7-6-11 inning Nats win over the Padres at Nationals Park on April 28, 2019, had a one-out full count game-tying solo homer in the bottom of the fifth and had a two-out single in the bottom of the third. But from that game onward, uh, Keyboom went two for 27 with three walks, versus 11 strikeouts and had a number of defensive issues at actually shortstop, uh, which he was playing due to Trey Turner having suffered a broken right index finger. The truth is that Carter Keyboom, since that series against the Padres more than four years ago now, uh, has done very little at the major league level. So we shall see what happens with him uh, in this go-round at the major league level, but I was happy for him on Tuesday night. Uh, Something else from this 2-1 win at the Yankees on Tuesday night, the Nats at one point had a stretch of three of five batters, each notching a single, but then getting thrown out in an attempt to stretch the single into a double. This was something. Uh, designated hitter K. Bert Ruiz in the top of the fourth had a leadoff opposite field single to the right center field gap, but he then was thrown out in his attempt to stretch the single into a double as he slid off second base. Uh, second baseman Ildemaro Vargas in the top of the fourth had a two-out single to left field, but he then was thrown out in his attempt to stretch the single into a double. And center fielder Alex Call in the top of the fifth had a leadoff single on a fly ball on which Yankee center fielder Harrison Bader nearly made a diving backhanded catch at left center field. But Call then was thrown out in his attempt to stretch the single into a double. Uh, that was bizarre, and that was not good. I mean, three base running blunders uh, like those right there for the Nats in that condensed period of a time. Again, a stretch of three out of five batters, each notching a single, but then getting thrown out in an attempt to stretch the single into a double. Uh, And then also with the Nats on Tuesday was it being a big day in their minor league system. Uh, A number of significant promotions all became official on Tuesday. Uh, The promotion of the Nats' top prospect outfielder Dylan Cruz from low A Fredericksburg to double A Harrisburg became official on Tuesday. We on Monday's show, episode 638, talked about Cruz being promoted. Uh, The promotion of outfielder Jacob Young from double A Harrisburg to triple A Rochester became official on Tuesday. Uh, Jacob Young earlier this season was playing for High A Wilmington. So he this season is playing for three different levels of the Nats farm system. Uh, the Nats took Young in the seventh round of the 2021 MLB draft out of Florida. Uh, the promotion of Yohandi Yo-Yo Morales from Low A Fredericksburg to High A Wilmington became official on Tuesday. Uh, the Nats took the man known as Yo-Yo uh, in the second round of the 2023 MLB draft out of Miami. Uh, the promotion of outfielder Andrew Pinckney from Low A Fredericksburg to High A Wilmington uh, became official on Tuesday. The Nats took him in the fourth round of the 2023 MLB draft out of Alabama. And the promotion of outfielder Christian Vaquero from the FCL, the Florida Complex League, to Low A Fredericksburg became official on Tuesday. The Nats on January 15th, 2022, what was day one of MLB's 2022 international signing period, announced the signing 
of Christian Vaquero. Uh, his nickname is The Phenomenon, which uh, tells you a lot. Uh, he, at the time of his signing with the Nats, was just 17 years old and was ranked by Baseball America as the number one international player who was eligible to sign with a major league team in 2022 and was ranked by MLB Pipeline as the number two international player who was eligible to sign with a major league team in 2022. A lot of good and exciting stuff is happening uh, in the Nats farm system right now. Game two for the Nats at the Yankees, Wednesday night at 7.05. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles on Tuesday night began a nine-game homestand, but uh, not in a good way. A 6-3, 10-inning loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in game one of a three-game series. The Tampa Bay Rays on Tuesday night uh, won. Uh, They smashed the uh, National League worst Colorado Rockies at 12-4. So the O's in this regular season now are 77-48. and Best record in the American League, but uh, the O's now are two games ahead of the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. Orioles reliever Mike Bauman, uh, he on Tuesday night in the top of the 10th allowed three runs, uh, two of which were earned. He on the first pitch that he threw gave up a tie-breaking leadoff first pitch, a two-run homer by Brandon Belt to right center field for a 5-3 Blue Jays lead. The homer winner projected 417 feet per stat cast. And Bauman on his next pitch gave up a first pitch double by Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to left field. And Bauman later in the inning issued a two-out run-scoring wild pitch for a 6-3 Blue Jays lead. Not a good outing for Mike Bauman. Uh, Bauman worked that top of the 10th off the Orioles ace reliever Felix Batista having tossed a perfect top of the ninth on just nine pitches. We have seen Batista work multiple innings before, but O's manager Brandon Hyde opted to keep Batista available for Wednesday night, and so Hyde did not have Batista pitch that top of the 10th on Tuesday night. Uh, here was Hyde during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on the temptation to have had Batista pitch that top of the 10th. Um, I'm tempted on the road. It's, I think it's really tough at home. You know, if we, like I always said, he's one of the only guys in the, in the league that ever does that. And it's always, usually, it's been on the road, um, which we score. I send him back out if the pitch count's manageable. But tie game at home, um, you know, I lose him for the series. If he pitches again, I need him for the next 30-something games too. And that does make sense. I can't kill Brandon Hyde for not having Felix Batista pitch the top of the 10th on Tuesday night, although clearly uh, Mike Bauman did not do well. Uh, the Orioles' bullpen on Tuesday night beyond Bauman did do well. Uh, Jacob Webb tossed two-thirds of a scoreless inning. He, in the top of the seventh, faced three batters and got two outs. CNL Perez came into the game at the top of the seventh with a runner on first, two outs, and the game tied at three. And Perez generated a swinging strikeout of the Blue Jays' number three batter, Brandon Belt, uh, for the third out. Yadir Cano tossed a scoreless top of the eighth with two strikeouts, and he, in that inning, actually had to get four outs, uh, thanks to a pass ball by catcher James McCann out of two-out strikeout of Matt Chapman, and as mentioned, Felix Batista tossed a perfect top of the ninth, but that was his only inning. Uh, the O's on Tuesday night got a decent outing from their starting pitcher, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, Gray Rod was at least decent for a six consecutive start, three runs in six innings. He did put a good number of guys on base. He gave up eight hits, uh, two run homer, a double, and six singles. He issued two walks, but he also had five strikeouts, and he threw a lot of strikes, uh, 94 pitches, 65 strikes versus just 29 balls. Uh, Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night on Grayson Rodriguez. Six innings without his best stuff or his best command. So really happy about that and figuring things out you know, without having, um, didn't really have a slider tonight. Threw some decent curveballs, but didn't really have a slider tonight. So really relied on fastball, which he didn't have great command of his fastball tonight, but the changeup was pretty good. And uh, the way he just, you know, he gutted through six innings, they're only giving up three runs. Yeah, a lot to like about Grayson Rodriguez. And uh, this is second stint at the major league level 
in this regular season. Uh, the O's in this 6-3-10 inning loss to the Blue Jays on Tuesday night did not hit enough. Uh, the O's scored just three runs, totaled nine hits, worked just two walks, went just a two for 14 with runners in scoring position, and struck out 14 times. The O's got worked by the Blue Jays' bullpen. Six Blue Jays relievers officially combined for five and a third scoreless innings with eight strikeouts. Uh, the Orioles' mere two hits with runners in scoring position came from Jordan Westberg and Austin Hayes. Uh, Jordan Westberg as the Orioles' starting second baseman and number five batter went at two for five with an RBI double, a single, and three strikeouts. Uh, Westberg in the Orioles, a two-run fifth, had a two-out RBI double toward the left field corner to tie the game at three. And Austin Hayes uh, as the Orioles' starting left fielder and number four batter went one for four with an RBI double and a walk. Hayes in the Orioles, one run first, had a two-out full count RBI double to the left center field gap for a one nothing Orioles lead. Game two for the O's against the Blue Jays, Wednesday night at 7.05. Jack Flaherty will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 640. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders. Also talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Wednesday night at 7.05 of Game 2 of a three-game series at the New York Yankees. The O's on Wednesday night at 7.05 of Game 2 of a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. Okay, we wound up 5 and 11. Not very good. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.